This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Kicking with Kira here on Full Press Radio. Happy Veterans Day to all the veterans out there. Thank you for those who have served or are serving in our armed forces. Uh, we are very thankful for your service, and we um, honor you on this day here on a Thursday. I'm Ricky Keeler. Happy back to you for episode number 112. we got a really good show coming up for you today. Of course, we're going to break it down into two at different NFL segments. We'll do the AFC in our first block and the NFC in the second block, which, of course, we'll discuss the Panthers bringing back Cam Newton. Is it a good signing? Does it help save their season? What happens to Odell Beckham Jr.? We'll kind of get into both the first block and the second block when it comes into figuring out which team he's going to go to. So far, still no decision from him, and it doesn't sound like there's going to be one at least for a couple of days. Um, so we'll dive into that, mainly with the AFC. Is there actually a number one team in the conference? Because when you get now to week 10, we're halfway through the season. It's now time we're going to look at the playoff picture more often. And it's still kind of tight on who actually is the best team in the AFC. So we'll dive into that, who might be the contenders, and who are the pretenders, at least so far. We'll do college football later, talk about the playoff rankings, and why this committee seems to be, again, giving mixed messages when it comes to one decision. Not a lot of changes in the rankings because there's only one upset in the top five. A lot of teams had scares, and we'll dive into those scares as well. Uh, but I think the committee got it wrong. And we'll do a little baseball at the end of the show. Um, obviously, we're still hoping there's no lockout on December 1st, but it doesn't sound like that. there's optimism that they're going to avoid that. Um, but we will talk about some of the top storylines and some of the, the positions uh, you should watch for in free agency. Kind of a little off-season preview um, to dive into in the hot stove season. Hopefully the stove is at least hotter this year. 
Want to remind you, you can follow me on Twitter at Rickinator555. That's at R-I-C-K, letter I, Nader like a Terminator, three fives. Follow us on Twitter at FP underscore coverage and at Full Press Radio. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You're at your podcast. Just search Kicking with Keyword. Chances are you will find it. And please leave a rating. I want to hear from you. Tell me what you like, you don't like. And you can email me, rickjkeeler at gmail.com. I'm very happy to hear from you. We'll take requests for Word Association, which will come up on Saturday. Top five games of the week, which we'll do for both NFL and college football every Saturday. And so much more. Remember, you can download the full press coverage app on your iOS or Android device. It has all of our articles, live shows, podcasts. we got everything there. Uh, we greatly appreciate it, and thank you for those who have downloaded the app already. So let's dive into the AFC. And a couple weeks ago when we talked about the Bengals, and we said the road to the Super Bowl could go through Cincinnati. Well, I know Bengal fans, I don't get a lot of mentions, but I'm sure they're probably not happy that since I've done that, the Bengals have looked embarrassing against the Jets and the Browns. And you're going to give the Browns a lot of credit, too. They, Without Odell Beckham Jr., it's just a fact Baker Mayfield's better without him. Now, you can blame Beckham. You can blame the, the, the scheme, whatever. But the fact of the matter is when Odell Beckham Jr. is not in the lineup, Baker Mayfield plays more loose, doesn't have to worry about who to distribute the ball to, and he's a better quarterback because of it. Doesn't mean that Odell Beckham can't work in any other situation. You don't want to go that, that far, but it doesn't work in Cleveland. It's okay to admit that. But you look at the AFC as a whole. And if the season ended today, this would be your top seven in the AFC. Tennessee, off a very impressive performance against the Rams, without Derrick Henry, goes in, dominates the LA offense that was unstoppable. And, and it kind of goes to show you, we, we mentioned it on Saturday. The Rams hadn't played a good team in a month. And it, and it kind of showed when you don't play a great schedule, you can tend to maybe as a team lose some of the, the, the edge, lose some of the competitiveness that you have because you're not getting up for every opponent. You're human. You look at the schedule and the coaches try to help you avoid that, but in the end, it's hard to do. But Tennessee, the one seed at 7-2. The Ravens be the two seed at 6-2. And, and that was a good comeback by the Ravens, down 14 to the Vikings, but it also shows you how bad Minnesota is. Their five losses are by less than 20 points combined. Vikings don't know how to close games, but Lamar Jackson does. I mean, think about the comeback win over Indy, now the comeback win over Minnesota. Um, two very good wins for Lamar Jackson, leading his team back. The Chargers at 5-3 and three lead the AFC West based on a tiebreak over Vegas. Chargers get a good win on the road in Philly. Justin Herbert was near perfect in the game. Chargers still have some issues on defense. I still don't buy their running deep rush defense. There are good running backs in the AFC. They're not great ones, though. So... Without Derrick Henry in the fold for now, I mean, who is the best running back left in the AFC in terms of playoff contenders? Is it Nick Chubb, who we'll see if he plays this week due to being on the COVID list, but he's, right now the Browns aren't guaranteed the playoffs. I mean, do the Chargers have the best running back in Eckler? That's possible. Pittsburgh, Menage Harris. New England has a good run scheme, but not exactly a great running back, although I do like Damian Harris. The Bills don't have a running game. The Titans have Adrian Peterson and Jeremy McNichols. And the Ravens have what's left of Devontae Freeman and Le'Veon Bell and maybe Latavius Murray. Maybe when they play Lamar Jackson, as we saw the last time, that hurts. But for right now, the Chargers, as long as Herbert's not turned the ball over, they're right there in the three seed. The Bills lead the AFC by only a half game as the four seed. And you've got to be embarrassed by the way Buffalo played on Sunday. Losing 9-6 to the Jacksonville Jaguars. In a game where Trevor Lawrence had to leave for a little bit with the ankle. Josh Allen got wrecked by Josh Allen. Two picks, 264 yards, threw the ball 47 times. 
and he was the best rusher, five carries for 50 yards. And that's the problem with the Bills. The Bills have a good defense. No doubt about that. Like, Buffalo has one of the best defenses in the AFC. But why the Bills aren't necessarily a locks or a bowl contender? Who's their top running back? Devin Singletary had 16 yards on six carries, even though he had seven catches out of the backfield. And Zach Moss had three carries for six yards, two catches for 18. He hasn't actually been the guy he was a year ago. The Bills' best running back is their quarterback. And you've seen it work in Baltimore for now. But when often than not is your best running back the quarterback winning a Super Bowl? doesn't happen that often. So I'd be a little concerned for Buffalo that there's still a lack of balance. And again, they're playing a soft schedule. Maybe their competitiveness level's down a little bit. I mean, look how they struggled with the Dolphins for three quarters a week before. So a little bit of alert signs in Buffalo. Your wild cards right now would be Vegas, who struggled with the Giants. And to me, that wasn't a surprise. They picked the Giants to win that game on FBC NFL Sunday because I thought the Giants were due for a win. They've been playing good football. And their defense, I think, was going to have some form of um, element of stopping Carr and Jacobs, who had a decent game. Uh, but Vegas is 4-1 in the conference. They've done a good job there at the 5 seed. Pittsburgh. Keep an eye on the Steelers here. They beat Detroit this week. They're 6-3. and three. Right now, 5-3 and three at the moment. The 6th seed starting to play better football. They did get the benefit of the doubt, thanks in part to Tony Carrente, who, again, I've seen players complain about this all week with the taunting call on Cassius Marsh. If a player were to hip-check a referee, they would get a fine and a significant suspension. We have not heard anything regarding Tony Carrente. To me, that still speaks of a double standard between players and officials. Officials, yes, are taught to officiate to the fullest extent they have those certain points they need to hit and i think the officials in the back of their mind are saying i'd rather piss off the fans than make angry the the league so that's really the issue with the steelers with the the referees themselves is taunting i get it but cashless marsh is not taunting anybody he walked to the wrong sideline that shouldn't have been a 15 yard penalty that almost in a sense, cost the Bears the game, even though Chicago almost made a 65-yard at the end to win it. But Pittsburgh, 5-3 and three and starting to figure things out, although they did just have the injury to Chase Claypool. And then you got five teams at 5-4. and four. Right now it's high for the seventh seed. New England, Kansas City, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Denver. Denver, very impressive in their comeback win over Dallas. Not comeback win, but coming from coming, after coming back after playing some couple of bad games, and then dominating the Cowboys. They were 30 to nothing at one point. Nobody saw that one coming. And they caught Dallas on a right day with the Broncos coming off of also trading their best player in Von Miller. That was a very impressive performance. So you have to give Denver the benefit of the doubt. The problem for the Broncos in staying in this mix, they only have one, they have maybe two gimme games left. If you want to count them, well, easy ish games the Eagles this week at home and Detroit at home. After that, their schedule is brutal going forward. So it's going to be tough for Denver to stay in it, but we'll see. Kansas City, who's in the mix, still is finding trouble dominating opponents. Winning 13-7 to against a Jordan Love-led Packers team is not something to be really proud of. The Chiefs are still a work in progress. They're still broken offensively. And I don't really know when it's going to get fixed. If it hasn't gotten fixed by now, there's plenty of season left, then when exactly is it going to be fixed essentially and we'll get into the news that as we're recording the show there is more news on Odell Beckham but it doesn't sound like and I'll say in the next block 
it doesn't sound like he's going to an AFC team. So he's not going to the Chiefs. Really, I don't know what's going to fix their receiving room necessarily. You have Cleveland, who again, I like the Browns. I think they're the pro, the thing that's been more disappointing with Cleveland is their defense, not their offense. Their offense, you kind of know what it's supposed to be. If they go through Nick Chubb and go through um, Dearness Johnson, we'll see you when Kareem Hunt comes back. Maybe it's in December. And there is news on Odell Beckham. Actually, we'll just get it out of the way now. Adam Schefter from ESPN reporting as I do the show live. Odell Beckham Jr. is going to the Los Angeles Rams. And we'll get into it in the second segment. I want to stick with the AFC, but to me, that's a shock. And I'm not sure it actually is going to work in Los Angeles, but we'll figure that out in a second. So Kansas City, to me, I'm not sure if it's really going to get fixed. Cincinnati, to me, I'm concerned with their defense. The Bengals' defense, which was great. We saw how they basically dominated the Ravens three weeks ago. They've been awful against the Jets, awful against Cleveland, and now their schedule, the Bengals, tough. Look at their schedule the rest of the way and tell me there's a giving win on the schedule. Vegas next week, Pittsburgh, L.A., mean the Chargers, Niners, Broncos, Ravens, Chiefs, Browns. There is not a single game where you would say that's a win for Cincinnati right off the bat. That, to me, is a concern, and that takes Cincinnati's playoff odds a little bit further down. They're going to have to steal some wins to get to, I think, the top, the seven seed in the AFC is going to have to finish with no worse than 10-7. and seven. That's how deep this conference is. And then finally, the Patriots, who are the seven seed right now, the season and today. Now, the reason for that, they'd have the tiebreak over the Browns and the Chiefs. They would have the division tiebreak would be out with Denver and eliminate Cincinnati. So that's why the Patriots would win that five-way tiebreaker. Patriots to me, now we're going to have to watch the injuries with the running backs this week. Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson in concussion protocol. What happens in that situation will be interesting. Because they do have Brandon Bolden, who has stepped up in the passing game. Stevenson had a great game, by the way, in the passing game last week in Carolina. And J.J. Taylor. Mac Jones only threw it 18 times, did fumble once, did throw an interception to Stephon Gilmore. So there is some regression with Mac Jones, but not enough to think where you would panic. To me, the Patriots' strength is their defense. J.C. Jackson with two picks and a pick six last week. Matthew Judon's playing excellent football in the defensive line. You've seen Christian Barmore step up on the defensive line. And this is a bad, and I'm not one like Bill Simmons or Chad Finn or some of these guys that say the Patriots, this is like 20 years ago. I, I don't think that yet. I don't think they're a Super Bowl team. But if they win this week against the Browns, and we'll, that'll probably be the number one game of the week when we do our top five on Saturday. And if they beat Atlanta the following Thursday... They're in the hunt at 7-4, and four, and their playoff odds are really good. I saw ESPN's FPI this week that if New England beats Cleveland, they have a 70% chance to make the playoffs because they'd have a tiebreak over Cleveland. They would essentially have a tiebreak over the Chargers if it came down to that. And I don't think Denver Cincinnati with their schedules, and if you look at Cleveland's schedule, they have Detroit next week, and then their schedule, there's no gimmies left. Patriots still have a couple of gimmies on their schedule in a sense. Jacksonville they have at the end of the end of the season. Uh, if you want to include Miami, although they lost Miami earlier this year. But there are winnable games in the Patriots schedule going forward that a lot of these teams don't have. And that helps them. The team you want to watch is Indianapolis, though. They're four and five, they're one game back, but look at Indy's schedule. They have a stretch now with Jacksonville. They play them twice in their final eight games. They still have a game with the Texans. 
So they're, if you give Indy those three wins, and, they, and you can't really give the Jaguar win because the Bills will tell you otherwise, that's seven. And Indianapolis is starting to run the ball better. We talked about it last Saturday. The key is going to be Carson Wentz's efficiency, but I wouldn't count out the Colts. And remember, they still play New England in December. So there's still a chance that a head-to-head matchup there. So to me, what I learned from the AFC, there is not one great team. There are a lot of good teams. And that is going to make the AFC playoffs, as we look ahead, so exciting because I don't think there's going to be a matchup where you go, this team can't beat this team. The NFC, totally different. I think the NFC is very top-heavy, and the bottom, which we'll get into in the next segment, is a little bit eh. You're bound to see who's going to get eliminated in the first round. I think if you make it as a seventh seed in the AFC, you've got a shot to win a round or two. Because how you get there with the momentum from the end of the season... Plus, the gap in talent is not there in the AFC. It's not. If you told me one of these teams, maybe the only team I'd be shocked by to go to the Super Bowl, probably be Denver. Probably be Indy, I'd be surprised. Probably. I'll still say I'd probably be surprised if Vegas gets to the Super Bowl. But other than that, I mean, New England, I'd be shocked by New England. I can say that honestly. So... Really, four teams out of the 12 that are in contention. That means it's wide open to me. Very briefly, with the Thursday night game being the AFC, we'll talk about that. Ravens and the Dolphins. To me, you can't really go as a trap game for the Ravens because next week Baltimore is in, in Chicago. Miami still with Tua being a game-time decision. Does he play tonight with that finger if he doesn't? Jacoby Brissett can do enough. We saw the Dolphins win last week, but that was against the Texans. I don't see the Ravens slipping up in this game. I don't think the Dolphins have enough defensively to contain Lamar Jackson. Uh, Baltimore's favored by 8.5. I don't think we're going to get a very competitive game tonight in Miami. I know there's history. I think the Dolphins won a game on a Thursday night a few years ago. It was against the Bengals. Uh, I don't think we're getting that again. I think Baltimore wins this game. I think they win it again pretty convincingly. Uh, They're on a good path now. They did slip up last week and having to come back from two scores down to beat Minnesota in overtime. And this is a Raven team that hasn't really, other than the Chargers, hasn't blown anybody out this year. So if you want to take that into consideration, you look at the spread, it's an option. But to me, Baltimore's the better team. They should roll. This will not be a very competitive Thursday night game. But as I said last Saturday, the college football game is more interesting tonight. And we'll get into that game later with North Carolina um, at Pitt. And that should be a really fun game with quarterbacks. So if you're looking to get something not watching the NFL game and go to the college football game, that might be your better option. And you rarely have that on a Thursday night in the NFL season. But we'll take our first break. We'll come back and we'll talk about the two big news in the NFC. Cam Newton back in Carolina and Odell Beckham Jr., according to Adam Schefter, is a member of the L.A. Rams. We'll dive into all that next on Kicking with Keo after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Getting set to talk about the NFC here on Kicking It with Keeler and the two big news of the week in the two big news items of the week in the NFC is Odell Beckham Jr., which it sounds like the update is as we record this according to Adam Schefter, he's expected to sign with the Rams. Kim Jones from the NFL Network has said that Odell is on the fence between the Rams and the Packers. So if it's not the Rams, it'll be one of those two teams, although I think gotta go off Adam Schefter, even though again Josina Anderson has even said Odell's on the fence. But I'm just confused by the Rams story and why the Rams are such an interesting destination for Beckham. The Rams, we know, are all in. We know they want to win the Super Bowl. They don't care about draft picks and all that stuff. They want. They know it's Super Bowl or bust in Los Angeles. That's a given. But where exactly does Odell fit in this whole conversation? They have Cooper Cup, who's been one of the best wide receivers in football this year. They have Robert Woods. They have an emerging wide receiver in Van Jefferson. They have a good tight end in Tyler Higby. I'm confused by this from Odell Beckham, unless this is solely I'm willing to give up some of my ego to win a Super Bowl. Because Odell Beckham Jr. has an ego. It's clear. It's, it's understood. It's accepted. Nobody's criticizing for it. But you don't have an ego... If he didn't have, let's just say, if he didn't have an ego, his dad wouldn't have been posting videos of Baker Mayfield not throwing the ball. This is the same Ram team that cut Deshaun Jackson because he didn't get enough targets in that offense. So how is Odell Beckham, who's essentially replacing Deshaun Jackson in this system, getting the ball? If he's looking to go somewhere to earn that next contract, maybe that final big contract. Is the Rams the place where he could go to get it? I don't think so. And even I don't think the Packers are. The Packers, to me, you still got Devontae Adams there. You still got Aaron Jones there. You still got even Alan Lazard in the mix there. But think about it with the with the Packers, too. It's like... Can Aaron Rodgers get him the ball enough? Odell Beckham Jr. to me wants the targets. If he didn't get the, if he got the targets, he would have stayed in Cleveland. How is he supposed to get the ball enough in LA to be happy? I don't know. That's a lot to put on Matthew Stafford. You know, has the pressure of needing to win a Super Bowl, not just get there to win a Super Bowl. Getting the Super Bowl and losing will be a failure in Los Angeles, especially if it's in their building this year. So much pressure on Stafford, who, by the way, still needs to win a playoff game. I think we keep forgetting that as we talk about how great Matthew Stafford is. He's probably the MVP in the end, right now, one of the MVP frontrunners in the NFL. But there is so much pressure on him to succeed. Like, when we get to the playoffs, that's the guy under the microscope. Because he got the better for the doubt, and he was in Detroit all the time, and all he had was Calvin Johnson, and it was a franchise that doesn't know how to win. And it was to me, it's just shocking 
that the Rams got this done. Because it was talk of the Chiefs, it was talk of the Packers, it was talk of the Saints, even though I don't think the, the Saints would have been interesting because Sean Payne could have used them creatively. But Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill is not going to be enough to, to sign a player like Beckham. And I thought New England was interesting. I don't know if I would have been fully on board with the move, but I would get it with Bill Belichick and, and maybe Josh McDaniels dials up some plays and they need a number one wide receiver for Mac Jones. That would kind of work. I think there would have been some element to it working. But the Rams, to me, is so stunning. They've got now all these pieces in place. They traded for Jalen Ramsey a couple years ago. They, they traded for Von Miller. There is no way the Rams could do anything win a Super Bowl and have a successful season. Now, that's it. They put all the chips in the poker table, and they're ready to go. And maybe Sean McVay looked at it last week, where the Rams played the Titans, only scored 16 points, on national television against a good Titans team but a team not known for its defense Matt Stafford had two interceptions Robert Woods and Cooper Cup combined for 23 targets out of the 48 throws maybe they're looking for that third guy maybe they don't believe Van Jefferson can be that uh, that number three can Beckham be that I I don't know because I said it last week I don't know how much Odell has left even at 29, he just turned 29. I, I don't know with all the injuries he's had, what's exactly left on the table. But to me, the Rams storyline is fascinating because they're trying to win the number one seed as of right now in the NFC. If the season ended today, the Rams would be the number five seed in the NFC. Remember, they lost Arizona earlier this year. Cardinals lead that division by one game, two if you count the head-to-head. So there's a chance the Rams could win 12 games, 13 games, and still not have home field in the first round. And they know that that road will be extremely difficult because this would be the matchups of the season end today. Cardinals would get the bye as the one. Packers would play the Falcons, which we'll get into in a bit. Tampa would play New Orleans in a rematch of two weeks ago, which the Saints won. And Dallas would host the Rams. Dak against Stafford. That would be a fun matchup. But L.A. knows they're going to need every weapon they can to win this division. And the easiest way to win the Super Bowl is to get that number one seed or at least win the NFC West. They're taking a chance. I, From a team perspective, I totally get it from the Rams. From a player perspective for Beckham, I don't get it. I don't think it makes sense. I don't think if he wants to... Maybe he's giving up part of that ego to win a Super Bowl. That's entirely possible. And I respect him for it. But if he wants to get those targets and be seen as the top one of the top wide receivers in the game again, I think he would have gone somewhere else. But we'll see. The other big news, say, in the NFC. Cam Newton back to Carolina. And to me, I'm not as confused by this as I am by Beckham. I get it from the Panthers' standpoint. Um, Cam Newton, to me, the Panthers need an upgrade at quarterback. I don't know how much of an upgrade Cam is, but Sam Darnold, who's now out with the fractured scapula, going to miss the next four weeks at least. And watching the Panther-Patriot game last week, you could clearly see, and I'm shocked by that Matt Rule even started, Sam Darnold last week. Because Darnold not only was hurt, but you've seen him regress significantly over the last month. And you have a guy in P.J. Walker who has made plays in this offense. That I think if you give him the confidence and you give him the pieces, and you have the pieces around him with McCaffrey 
with DJ Moore, with Robbie Anderson, that Carolina could do things. But by bringing in Cam, again, a low-risk move. Adam Schefter had it earlier today. Um, Cam will get up to $10 million the rest of the year, gets $4.5 million guaranteed, and a million and a half at a roster bonus. So he's getting about $6 million for the rest of the season. It's enough to save Carolina because the Panthers' defense is good. Shaq Thompson, Brian Burns, Devlin Gilmore. The list goes on and on. Carolina's got good defensive players. The problem the Carolina Panthers have is their quarterback position, and with Matt Paradis out there center, that's an issue as well on the offensive line. The Panthers need help up front. But I like the, the home, bringing Kieran Cam back to Carolina. They still love him there. The expectation is going to be lower than obviously what it once was. Maybe he provides a different wrinkle. You know you've got creative minds in Matt Rule and Joe Brady there that could use Cam in different ways. I don't think he can be a reliable starting quarterback. I think he could play if you don't believe in P.J. Walker and you want to start Cam next week against Ron Rivera and the football team, Cam's former coach. If you want to start him in games down the road, take a shot. Because believe it or not, and we just mentioned this, when you look at the NFC, Carolina is still alive. And very much alive. Right now, at the season in today, as we just mentioned, the Falcons are the 17th in the NFC. Yes, the Falcons. Who are 4-4. Four and four. Atlanta's played much better football as of late. In fact, Atlanta has won three of their last four games. Their only loss is that six-point loss to Carolina, which Atlanta had no reason losing that game. That was just how bad Atlanta was. But right now, the Falcons have a half-game lead over the Panthers, a game over the Vikings, a game over Seattle, and a game over San Francisco. I would take the Eagles, the Giants, and the Bears slightly out at 3-6, and six, but you're looking at Atlanta, Carolina, Minnesota, Seattle, San Francisco for one spot. Because I think the Saints are going to be fine at 5-3. and three. I think they'll get in. Their defense is too good. Even though they have issues at the quarterback position with Simeon and with Hill, I think New Orleans is fine. Carolina has enough to make the 7th seed if they get consistent quarterback play. They get Atlanta coming up on December 12th at home. They've already beat them once. They do have a tough matchup with Arizona this week. I don't think they'll win, but I think they'll show a better effort than they did against New England. Then you have Washington, Miami, Buffalo, and the end of the year with Tampa, New Orleans, Tampa. That's a different story. But you've got to get more out of this offense. And you have too good of playmakers, if you're Matt Rule, to, to have mediocre quarterback play. Because before the injury, Sam Darnold was awful. And I was one who always felt bad for Sam Darnold with the Jets. But you've clearly seen it. He's not the same quarterback. As, but now Christian McCaffrey's healthier. They could use more Chuba Hubbard, not make him the primary back, but make him a secondary back and use him in a couple different plays. This move brings Carolina's locker room more rejuvenated. I think it gives them a spark. Maybe it leads to a couple wins here or there. I mean, not Sunday, I don't think, because, again, P.J. Walker is going to start Sunday. But down the road, Cam is probably at least going to be the backup Going forward after this week, Matt Barkley this week is the backup, but I think Cam will eventually at least get into the backup role, and if that's the case, he's going to play at some point. You don't bring a guy in for up to $10 million and not play him. So they take the chance, and to me, that's a good, good chance. A good, a good player to take a flyer on, because look, most people you know root for Cam. Most people you know believe in him, want him to succeed, and people don't hate that Carolina is giving him a second shot. Watching in New England, it didn't work. 
The system wasn't there. The playmakers weren't there. There's at least playmakers with with Moore, with Anderson. You've seen Tommy Tremble have good signs. You have McCaffrey. It can work in Carolina. Maybe not to the point where they'll get to a Super Bowl, but when you consider the margin, the lack of a dominant team at the bottom of the NFC, I wouldn't be shocked if Carolina made the playoffs. I don't think you'd be shocked if anybody at the bottom of the NFC made the 7th seed, because that's how weak the NFC is. But Cam maybe is that guy that can make one or two plays that change a game. And this defense did enough against New England last week. The Carolina's offense was just terrible. So the Panthers definitely in the mix as well. A lot of shocks, though, in the NFC last week when you think about it. Atlanta going on the road to beat New Orleans. Arizona dominates San Francisco without Kyler Murray, without DeAndre Hopkins. Chase Edmonds gets hurt during the game, but James Conner was fantastic. You had Dallas, we mentioned. I'm not concerned by the Cowboys that much. I think they just had a bad game. I mentioned Atlanta beating New Orleans was an interesting game. Tampa, of course, had a bye week. They'll get Washington coming up this Sunday. But maybe no Chris Godwin. So Tampa's banged up at wide receiver with Antonio Brown out as well. So Lesney and the Rams, going back to our earlier conversation, had put all their chips in to beat Tampa Bay. And Arizona. Because I think you give more options against the Cardinals. There's not a lot of guys they can cover one-on-one. Arizona's secondary is not the strength of their team. It's more their front seven. So the Rams... I I still don't believe they're the favorite. I still believe it's either Tampa or Arizona. Because I look at the Cardinals and and you got to say to yourself, even though they lost to the Packers, they lost to the Packers with... DeAndre Hopkins basically not playing at all. AJ Green forgetting it was a run a pass play and thinking it was a run play. And that's their only loss. And they beat the Niners without Hopkins, without AJ Green, and without Kyler Murray. I mean, that's how good this Cardinal team is. Now, can you trust Cliff Kingsbury in a big situation? Not sure. Cardinals haven't been in the playoffs with him. You know you can trust Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. You can probably trust the Rams to get to a certain point. You can probably trust the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, who likely returns this week to get to a certain point. But the teams to keep an eye on, at least the bottom of the NFC, Carolina. And I keep an eye on Seattle, who's going to get Russell Wilson back this week. Chris Carson is going to come back from IR eventually. And and Seattle, look at that schedule. Pretty fair. They got Houston still. They got Chicago. They got Detroit. They get Washington. You have two more games with the Cardinals, but Seahawks might be getting their guys back at the right time. you got to keep an eye on Seattle at the bottom of the NFC. But unlike the AFC, there is at least a gap in the NFC. After Arizona, Green Bay, Tampa, Dallas, and L.A., there's a drop-off. So I would say let there are fewer teams in the NFC have a shot to go to the Super Bowl than the AFC. But again, we're only halfway through the year. Things can change, but... To me, I'm still shocked Odell Beckham chose the Rams. I don't think it makes sense. And I think Carolina at least makes sense to bring in Cam Newton. Give him a shot. Because your quarterback options have been few and far between. There's not really a guy that you would absolutely be impressed by. So we'll take another break. We'll come back and we'll get into college football. Teams surviving close calls, and once again, the committee just doesn't know what's going on. 
I don't think they really know what to do with these rankings. And we'll, get, we'll tell you why coming up after this. With the Lucky Lands Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We move from the NFL to college football. Here I'm kicking it with Keeler as we talk about the latest playoff rankings and we'll talk about the previous week's action as we usually do as we said not a lot of big upsets there were upsets this week but the biggest one of course coming in west lafayette indiana purdue upsets michigan state who was number three at the time 40 to 29 aiden o'connell throws the ball 54 times three touchdowns david bell 11 catches for 217 problem is for michigan state just too many turnovers purdue made the plays and they had to make them Held the ball for over 35 minutes, which is impressive, especially when you're going against Kenneth Walker, the, the third, one of the best running backs in the country, and one of the leaders for the Heisman Trophy. But not, not a shock Michigan State lost, coming off that emotional win over Michigan. We're going to get into that coming up. But Purdue, that's the reason they jumped up to number 19 in the latest rankings. This is a good team that beat Iowa on the road. They're going to probably give Ohio State a scare this Saturday. I'm shocked right now the Buckeyes are favored by 21 points. But I think Purdue can compete with them. So that was really the, uh, the one big shocker. The other shocker, if they, you know, include as an upset, was Wake Forest at number nine, losing North Carolina. Wake didn't really have a shot at the playoff, I think, unless they got a bunch of chaos, but still have a chance to go to the Orange Bowl. Remember, this wasn't, this is not an ACC game. Both these teams are in the same conference, but they were not scheduled. So they decided to play this game. It does not count toward the conference. So Wake still has a chance to go to the ACC championship, but a game that combined for 113 points. And Sam Howell only threw for one passing touchdown, yet North Carolina scored 58 points. um, Ty Chandler, the running back for UNC, 213 yards and four touchdowns. He had an outstanding game. And Sam Hartman played well for Wake, throwing the football for 398, five touchdowns, ran for two, but he threw two picks. And you can't give North Carolina extra possession. So Wake gets upset. Uh, They drop off. They're not undefeated anymore. Um, other upsets included Illinois being number 20, Minnesota. And the other upset, I don't really consider it an upset necessarily, but I was uh, Tennessee beat number 18, Kentucky, 45-42. And Texas A&M holding Auburn to three points. I was very impressed with the Aggies' defense. And remember, if Alabama loses to Auburn in two weeks and A&M wins out, Texas A&M is going to the SEC championship game for the first time. So don't sleep on the Aggies. This is a good football team. But Saturday was about close calls in college football. Didn't have the didn't have the upsets, but you had games that were close. Uh, it started in the afternoon at noon. Ohio State without Chris Olave, their top wide receiver, 
beats Nebraska 26-17. Nebraska, I still say if they had better quarterback play, Scott Frost would be in a better position. They've been they've been close in a lot of these Big Ten games. They just can't seem to finish. And I like Adrian Martinez. I think he's fun to watch, but when you need him to make a big pass play, he can't seem to make it. Nebraska missed a short field goal. I think Scott Frost could have been a lot more aggressive. But how about the job by Jackson Smith and Jigba, whose brother is Cannon Smith, who's in the Pirates organization, used to be in the Yankees organization. I actually covered his brother uh, when he got drafted by the Yankees. Uh, but Jackson had a record 15 catches, 240 yards, and a touchdown. It was big, especially on those uh, second, third down throws for C.J. Stroud. Ohio State got the win. And I've been somebody that I've told you honestly, I'm not impressed by Ohio State. What I need to see from Ohio State coming up in the next three weeks with Purdue, Michigan State, and Michigan win those games. I don't believe Ohio State's going undefeated over that stretch. Nevertheless, I could see why they'd be considered at least a top four or five team in the, in the nation. I'm not going to deny them that. I'm just not that impressed with Ohio State. Cincinnati, another ugly win against Tulsa. You can't give them the benefit of the doubt. If they keep struggling these games, if Tulsa gets the ball over the goal line at the end of the game, they have a chance to go for two to tie it. And you'd like to see Cincinnati. They don't have to win this game by 50 points. They kind of have to make these games where they're not in doubt. They did not get help from Houston. They did not get help from SNU. They're not ranked. Cincinnati has three games left. They have South Florida tomorrow night where they're fair by 23. You kind of, I won't say you have to win by 50, but you kind of have to at least cover the number, don't you? And I, I'm Cincinnati's biggest fan. I want them to make the playoff because I believe if you're going to put a team in at number four that always gets their butt kicked, at least put Cincinnati against Georgia and let's see that matchup again. So I would want Cincinnati to get the, that chance, but they got to start dominating these teams. So that's a little concerning. Oregon went on the road to Washington. Washington got ahead early. Rivalry game. Huskies got into it. Took a 9-3 lead, but Oregon was able to rally. Travis Dye's been clutched this team on the ground, 211 yards and a touchdown uh, for Oregon to get the win. But the Ducks, not exactly the prettiest performance, but they're finding ways to win. But their schedule gets tougher. Two weeks from now, they get Utah. They could get Utah again in the Pac-12 championship. And that Oregon State game, Oregon State's not great, but they're not terrible. But Oregon gets them at home, which should help. And the other close call, shockingly, was Alabama. And I know I heard Greg McElroy say this week, well, LSU is better than their record. But still, for Alabama, the win that game by six points. Their defense was not good. They ran the ball 26 times for six yards. That includes Bryce Young running from minus 22. But Alabama needs to be a lot more consistent on the ground. They've actually been up and down in terms of they dominate one week and they struggle the next week. I get they could make the case them to be number two, but then you look at Resnick with Alabama and their best wins Old Miss, and after that, what is it? Miami? Mississippi State? Like, what? Tennessee? What exactly is the second best win for Alabama? So to me, I'm not... I mean, I like Alabama, not enough to be the number two team in the country. I would actually, I think, make the argument probably for Oregon before I would for Alabama. Even though Oregon, to be fair, lost to Stanford. Alabama doesn't have a bad loss. Alabama's one loss is to A&M, who's really good. So maybe you can make that argument for Alabama being number two. But there is not a clear-cut number two team in college football. I think that's what we ta- That's what last week taught us, is there's no clear-cut number two. Georgia's clearly number one. Their defense, 
is still a really good unit. One of the best units in college football, though. Um, losing one of their best defensive players, linebacker Alan Anderson, who turned himself in on Wednesday um, after being charged with felony rape. Um, that is obviously a serious story, and um, hopefully the justice system will play out in that. But Georgia does lose one of its uh, top defensive players. But their defense has a lot of depth. I think they'll be fine. But Georgia clearly is number one. And then after that, we're not sure. But the biggest mistake I think the committee makes in college football is let's look at what their latest ranking was. And this week they put Michigan State number seven, dropping four spots. Oklahoma being eight is fine. I would argue they're eighth because, again, they're, they don't have a great win. They're undefeated, and they're going to get a chance against Baylor, who's number 13, Iowa State, who could be ranked next week, and Oklahoma State potentially twice, and they're number 10. So Oklahoma's going to get chances. But to rank Michigan above Michigan State, and we saw the week before that the committee valued head-to-head when they ranked Mississippi State over Kentucky, when they ranked Wisconsin over Iowa, when they ranked Oregon over Ohio State. I don't think head-to-head is valued. And and to me, yes, you could you could argue that game. Michigan had a 30-14 to lead and let it slip away. You could absolutely argue that, and I'm not going to go against you. But if head-to-head matters, and when we say playing the games on the field, otherwise, let's go back to the stupid computers. Let's go back and looking at game metrics and all that stuff. Playing games matter. And as of right now, Michigan State beat Michigan. Michigan State should be higher than Michigan. Because the Purdue loss isn't that bad of a loss to drop Michigan State behind them. Michigan, look at their resume. What's their best win? Wisconsin? And Wisconsin's ranked, and you could argue that's a mistake. Wisconsin's ranked 18th, but Penn State's beat them. Penn State's beating Wisconsin and Auburn, and they're not even in the top 25 of these rankings. Then why do we play the games? Head-to-head, and these kind of rankings should matter. And for Michigan State to be behind Michigan, now again, this process will play itself out because Michigan State's going to play Ohio State next week. It's going to play Penn State at some point. Michigan gets Penn State this week on the road. But the committee is so inconsistent with this stuff. And it doesn't make sense. I I don't blame you if you don't trust this committee to come up with the top four, because quite frankly, I don't. And I know it's hard. I know it's not easy to rank 25 teams every single week. I don't know how I would do it. But how in the world, after one week, do you disregard the head-to-head between Michigan State and Michigan? As a consensus. I'm sure there was people in that room who argued the other way. But as a consensus, that 13-person committee decided to put Michigan number six. And Michigan's going to get its chances. They'll play Ohio State at the end of the month at home. We'll see if Jim Harbaugh finally gets a big win. But to me, I would just put Michigan State or Michigan. That's just my preference. Not really other complaints with the with the ranking. Notre Dame at number nine, I keep an eye on, although I don't see Notre Dame's path to the playoff, even if they win out, because their one loss to Cincinnati was undefeated. And as long as Cincinnati has one loss, even if Cincinnati were to slip up once, head-to-head does matter. So Notre Dame's path, I think their ceiling is maybe number eight, number seven. I don't think they're going to get higher than that. Oklahoma State's the one to watch here. 
at number 10. Uh, their only loss is to Iowa State on the road. Their defense is playing great football over the last two weeks. If they can get any consistent play from Spencer Sanders, at quarterback, this is a good football team. And they get TCU and Texas Tech. And one of the things we're going to get into, because we're going to have the Oklahoma Daily Assistant Sports Center, um, uh, they get uh, Spencer Engelbrecht on the show Saturday. Well, not Spencer, Chandler, Chandler Engelbrecht, excuse me. Chandler Engelbrecht will be on to preview OU Baylor. And we kind of get in this discussion. If Oklahoma State wins out the next two games, Oklahoma beats Baylor and Iowa State. Essentially, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are going to play two weeks in a row. And with both these teams being very good, I don't know how one sweeps the other. So basically could knock each other out in the Big 12. That, to me, is something that the conference has to keep an eye on to where maybe you have to look at automatic bids in each conference for an unofficial 12-team proposal for the future playoff. But as I mentioned earlier tonight, big game in college football, which, again, I would recommend keeping you an eye on this game. North Carolina at number 21 Pitt, 730 Eastern on ESPN. Pitt favored by 6.5. The over-under is 72. Expecting a lot of points here. Pitt still has a chance to win the ACC Coastal. Uh, right now, Pitt at 4-1 and one in the conference. North Carolina 3-3. Three and three. Pitt's a half game up on Virginia. Uh, Pitt does play Virginia on November 20th at home which is next Saturday. So basically Pitt, Virginia is likely going to be for the Coastal title. And it's what's fun about this matchup is the battle of two quarterbacks that both could be first round, if not sec, least top two, they like picked in the top two rounds of next month, next year's, well, not next year. This, the upcoming draft between Sam Howell and Kenny Pickett. Howell to me, I've liked to see, he's been using more of his running game and that's been impressive. I'm a big fan of his. Remember, North Carolina's depleted at wide receiver from a year ago. You kind of have to take that into account, I think, when you evaluate these guys. But what I like when I watch Pitt, and I've watched him against Miami, and I've watched a little bit of the Duke game last week, is Pickett gets the ball out very easily. 28 of 43, 416 yards, three touchdowns. And what he does well is he gets the ball to his best playmaker, and that's Jordan Addison. Uh, the sophomore wide receiver, seven catches for 171 yards and a touchdown. Addison is 14 yards shy of 1,000. He's already got 11 touchdowns on the season. Um, this is an instant playmaker. Pitt lost to Miami largely from mental, from small mistakes they made throughout that game. And if Pitt had not lost to Western Michigan at the beginning of the season, you would look at Pitt as probably a team that could compete for the playoff because they would have had a win over Tennessee, which is a pretty good win on the road. I think the ACC, though, gets dinged because Clemson's not that good. Florida State's playing better but struggled to begin the season. Miami is up and down. North Carolina's been disappointing. Wake Forest is a team that... Pitt won't play into the ACC championship if Wake Forest gets there. Because remember, Wake has a big game this week with NC State, where the winner of that game is likely going to go to the ACC championship game. But the ACC is down. So Pitt's not going to get that respect. And at 21 in the ranking, kind of got to keep an eye on what Kenny Pickett, Pickett and the Panthers are doing. Because an Orange Bowl berth is on the line. And for Pat Narduzzi's club, that's a lot of pressure. Mac Brown, meanwhile, is trying to get North Carolina in a bowl game. Right now, they're 5-4. and four. And the Tar Heels, that path does not look like it's a, an easy path to get to a bowl game. Because if they do lose tonight, I think they still have to play NC State, which is a rivalry game. And they have Wofford. So honestly, they could, as long as they beat Wofford, they'll make a bowl. But this has been disappointing because North Carolina was a team people looked at as a possible playoff contender. And a possible ACC title winner. Because they didn't play Clemson on the schedule. 
Their toughest game coming into the season was playing Miami. They barely won that. They lost Notre Dame by 10 points. Uh, they got smoked by Georgia Tech earlier this year. Lost the opener of Virginia Tech, who's up and down. So North Carolina's disappointing. Mac Brown's closing disappointing. Their defense just isn't good. And since their defense is not good, expect a shootout tonight between two quarterbacks that have both thrown over 20 touchdowns or more this year. Points galore in Pitt in the giant ketchup bottle known as Heinz Field tonight. And that's going to make for a lot of fun. So if you're bored by the NFL game, turn on ESPN. Watch a little college football. I think Pitt Carolina could provide the points that maybe Ravens Dolphins will not provide. We'll take one more break. We'll come back and we'll look at the baseball news. The GM meetings going on in Arizona. I think it's California or Arizona. I believe it's Arizona. We'll look at what's going on at the GM meetings. What Scott? I want to take issue with one thing Scott Boris said. And then we'll kind of get a brief look at what to watch over the offseason to come. Uh, outside of the labor negotiations, of course. You listen to Kicking with Keeler uh, here on Full Press Radio. We are going to talk some baseball. Wrap up episode 112 after this commercial break. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wrapping up, kicking with Kiwa this week, talking some baseball with the GM meetings going on in Carlsbad, California, and... One of the things to keep an eye on is one of the things I was interested in talking about this week. Um, obviously, every GM meetings or winter meetings, which the winter meetings are likely not going to happen if there is a lockout. But the GM meeting, Scott Boris is down there, obviously talking to teams about his clients. And one of the things Scott Boris said that struck me was that baseball is a victim of competitive cancer, where teams unload veterans to get draft picks. And he made the case the Braves only won this past World Series because of that. This is what Boris said. We have seen the championship in 60 days. The rules allow them to be a less than 500 team at August 1st and add four players, five players from teams that no longer want to compete for very little cost, change the entirety of their team and season. And we saw this unfold to the detriment of teams that created vast expense, planning, and intellect that won over 100 games. In doing all this, we have now created an understanding that a fan would not know who the true team is until, frankly, the trading deadline. See, I get where Scott Boris is coming from. You can totally understand how tanking is an issue, especially in baseball. Because you, while there have been more contending teams, like teams like San Diego are making some noise, and um, I think we're, one of the teams we've been impressed by this year is the Mariners and the Blue Jays, and there are small-ish market teams making a run. But the problem you have in the sport is not with with the whole issue of the Braves winning because of it. Because when you look at the Braves, what deals did they make? Jock Peterson, Adam Duvall, um, Jorge Soler, Eddie Rosario. Like, those are moves that aren't blockbusters that are caused by teams tanking, right? The Royals aren't going to make the playoffs. They, the Royals did try this offseason to be better. They just were not going to be a contender in the Central. You look at the Jock Peterson trade. Cubs, trade-off pieces. We're not going to be contenders. The Marlins with Duvall. 
Yeah, in Miami, not being contender. You saw Kimming. I saw the GMs. I know me network radio today that they had to trade Adam Duval and Sterling Marte, which I'm kind of confused by. But I guess because they're free agents, maybe you want to try to get the most that you can. They did trade for Richard Braves. They did trade for Richard Rodriguez from the Pirates. That was a smaller deal. Didn't really make that much of an impact. Uh, but Atlanta overhauled their outfield because of the Ronald Acuna injury. You actually, I would argue with Boris that. There is no competitive chance with Atlanta because if you were the Braves under 500, a lot of people at that time when the Cunha went down and the division looked like it was going to be the Mets to lose and the Phillies were right there, that the Braves should tank. But they didn't. Alex Anthopoulos was able to make smart moves and not the blockbuster get the big chip on the trade market. He went and got a couple of small names to help him win. That's not the Braves' fault why the sport is like this. You don't see small market teams when I, I read an article this week, I think it was the USA Today, the last small market team to get to, essentially get to a World Series is the Kansas City Royals. Well, Tampa Bay Rays would be considered, obviously, one. It's really the Rays and the Royals in the last few years. Outside of that, we're not seeing teams necessarily go big on that. You could argue that maybe teams shouldn't have top five picks every single year. There are tanking issues in baseball. I just don't equate it to the Braves. I think Atlanta, what's cool about the trade deadline, especially when it's July 31st, is your team is going to look different if you're being aggressive. What I would argue in the competitive culture problems, or the competitive cancer, as Scott Boris calls it, is really the offseason, where teams aren't spending on mid-tier free agents because they know they're not going to be that good, so why spend on a mid-tier free agent? That's the competitive cancer, not the trade deadline. It's the offseason and the pace of the offseason. Why we don't see big players sign until January or February sometimes. Because teams, I think, really give an evaluation of themselves. Because you look around this league, and, and there are teams that are going to be, like people think the Tigers could be a surprise next year if they make a big move. Teams are going to get better. But when you have about half the league being good and half the league not being good, and there's not a lot of parity in baseball in a 162-game slate, it is kind of concerning. You can have a, basically a fan base give up in May or June and you still have two-thirds of the season to go. Unless you have top prospects coming along the pipeline, that's not good. Because for every Astros and Cubs that try to tank to win a World Series, there's the Orioles, who are still in rebuild mode. There's teams... I mean, look at the Marlins, who are getting better with their pitching, but don't have any bats. There's the Pirates, who have been bad. Washington, who had a disappointing year. Kansas City's been down for the last few years. Fans want results. Texas is another one. Since Texas got into the World Series, the Rangers haven't been good. You want to see a more competitive balance in the sport. And what a competitive balance comes from and why I would argue, and maybe I, I wouldn't argue for a salary cap in baseball, but I would argue for a floor. Maybe not. I wouldn't put a ceiling on what you can spend, but i put a floor. You have to spend on X, spend X amount of dollars to put a competitive product on the field. That doesn't make it where the Rays can go 18-1 and one against the Orioles and essentially win a division that way. Because that's embarrassing. Boris called it the Easter Bunny delivering rotten eggs. I need to do this because it's my only option knowing I can't reach a divisional crest. I can't get in the playoffs. You can get in the playoffs. You got to make the smart moves. 
Braves won the title not from tanking. Because think about, look at the road they had to go to get there. They beat Milwaukee. They beat a Dodger team was supposed to be good, fantastic. Was supposed to be the World Series favorite, and then beat a good Astros team. So that's more the issue than anything else. I think the tanking, to Scott Boris's point, is an issue. It's not why the Braves won the World Series. That's discrediting Atlanta's t- title more than anything. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.